this podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Wake up, wake up. If you've got a Bible, go with me to Isaiah 29. Just going to stir you up here a little bit this morning with some things. You know, last week we talked about there in Luke 10 with Mary and Martha, and Jesus himself said one thing is needed, just one thing. And that thing was to come into the presence of the Lord daily. Not, not out of a sense of duty that I have to, but out of a sense of, man, I just want to hang out with God. I just want a fellowship. I just want a relationship with Him. Now, many times in our life, we will say stuff like this or think this. I'm a, I'm a full-time mechanic. I'm a full-time teacher. I'm a full-time plumber. I'm a full-time whatever you are. But then we almost have a sense of, but I'm a part-time Christian. And that was never God's design for us to be part-time Christians. His design was us for to live for Him every day. And, and if we're not careful, when we become lukewarm spiritually, it, it almost is synonymous with being normal. But it's not normal. God's design is for us to live for Him every day. Now this passage, I believe, is kind of a wake-up call. That, that God is saying, this is what lukewarm looks like. Uh, Isaiah 29, verse 13. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people, they draw near me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips. They, they talk about me. They have a big show of, of saying things. But have removed their hearts from me. Their hearts aren't in it at all, and so... You know, it's very easy to get where you can speak in Christian knees, where you can say the right things, and you can come in here and sing the songs, but, but your heart's not in it. In other words, we can talk the talk, but there's really no behavior that's changing within us. Our hearts are no different. And look what he goes on to say. And their fear or their reverence, their honor toward me, is taught by the commandments, the doctrines, or the rules of men. Now he's saying right here that when you begin to do that, God's no longer first place in your life. That he wants to make some changes though. And the rest of this in verse 14, 15, and 16 is really interesting. Look what it goes on to say. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people. A marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Woe or doom to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord. In other words, they don't want God knowing what they're doing. And their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us and who knows us? Surely you have things turned around or you have things backwards. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? And when you study the scriptures that, that Father God's the potter and we're the clay. He's the creator and we're the creation. But it says right there, shall we esteem the potter, Father God, as just that as mankind? And I believe those are things that we deal with in our society right now. And ultimately he ends with this. For shall the thing made say of him who made it? He didn't make me. 
Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it? He has no understanding. Now you hear more and more in our society that the Bible is no longer relevant to our society. The, the Bible's no longer relevant to the time we live in. And I find that wrong. I, I believe the Bible is still relevant. I believe the Bible is still appropriate. And the Bible is the only guide that I can really have to get me through this thing of life. Now, if you've seen lately maybe the article that there's churches that are rising up all around the world, and there's several of them in America, a lot of them on the West Coast in California, that are, are atheists. And they're becoming mega churches, which means they have to have over a thousand people within them. But I look in that and I think, so is that the, the direction, the flow of our society? To go to a church that doesn't believe in a God? So really, if you don't believe in a God, what's your trust in? Well, I think it's even some of this stuff like Isaiah was talking about right here. God has no understanding. Yeah, he does. And so there's got to be a wake-up call in this where we begin to, to say, you know what, Father God, I don't want to just talk the things. God. I want to live for you. I just don't want to be a believer in word, but I want to be a believer even in my actions. Now, here's a question for you right now. Does your life look any different as a believer than as an unbeliever? Is there any, any difference in your life right now than there was before you got born again. Do you still cuss? Do you still cheat and steal and dishonor? Or is there some changes? And this is some of the, the wake-up calls I believe God's wanting to put in each one of us, where it's more than just talking, that we really live for Him. Now, go with me to the last book of the, the New Testament there, Revelations. Revelations chapter 3. What would happen if we just had a, a heart exam today? And just looked into what my real purpose is in life. What we're here for. Now, anytime you study the book of Revelations, you'll find over and over and over in there, it talks about things with the number seven. The number seven is the number that reveals completeness or perfection. So that's what he talks over and over. Now, in Revelations 2 and Revelations 3, he deals with seven different churches. The loveless church, the persecuted church, the compromising church, the corrupt church, the dead church, and the faithful church. All those he corrects. He corrects every one of those churches. And there's a little bit of positive in those. But the last one he deals with is found in Revelations 3, starting in verse 14. Now, if you'll note, the subtitle above verse 14 says, the lukewarm church. Now look what he goes on to say. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So Jesus right here is speaking to these people that live in a city called Laodicea. Approximately 35 years before this was written, there was an earthquake that came in and it leveled the city of Laodicea. They rebuilt it with the finest materials, the finest of everything. I mean, it was a very affluent city, 
and it was known for all these great features. The only problem is they left out God. There was really no trace of God within their city. Okay? So Jesus is writing to this church, guys. Not a bunch of, uh, of unbelievers, but to a church. He says in verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. He said, I wish you were this way or that way. And so right here, their true heart is revealed. And I believe these were people that probably talked about God a little bit. But it's interesting right here that Jesus himself said, I know your works. I know your deeds. He didn't say, I know your words. He said, I know your works and your deeds. In other words, Jesus was saying, I see what you do. You may squeeze a little bit of me into your life, but you're not either cold nor you're not hot. Now, you know what that is to me? That would be like a, a fence straddler. I'm a saint on Sunday, but I'm a sinner on Monday. I blend in wherever I'm at. When I'm around church folk, I can act like church folk. But when I'm around the world, I act just like the world. So he's telling them here, you're neither cold nor hot, but he said, I wish you were one way or the other. Now, he defines that in the next verse. Look what he says. So then, because you are lukewarm spiritually and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's pretty graphic right there what he says, but I believe this is the wake-up call that in a certain way he's saying to us, it's very easy for you to come and pray to me when you need something. It's very easy for you to squeeze time in for me when you're in trouble. It's kind of like you've treated God as the, the great sugar daddy of the sky. But if you go back and look here, he's saying, I know your works. Now the Bible's very clear that we will be known by our fruit. You know what our fruit is? Our works. Our fruit is known by the things that we do, our behaviors and our actions, the things I do, not just the things I say. Now, really, if I was to paraphrase this, I would say that you got to put a little walkie-walkie with your talkie-talkie, okay? It's easy to talk the things of God, but do I live them? Now, Jesus doesn't quit there. Keep reading with me. Verse 17. Because you say or you brag, I am rich and have become wealthy, and I have no need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You're oblivious. Now, he's talking spiritually here. And the problem with these, these people in this church, guys, they had become very arrogant and self-sufficient. I'm rich. I don't need God telling me what. I've got life figured out. And so look what he jumps to in the very next verse. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments, 
that you may be clothed. Listen to this next verse, or next sentence. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. In other words, he's saying, spiritually you're dead. Spiritually you're blind. You think you have all these things figured out in life? He's tell- you don't have nothing figured out. Verse 19, as many as I love, now this is Jesus' words, I rebuke, I discipline, and I chasten, and I instruct. Therefore, be zealous or eager and repent. Now this is what he was talking to these people in this city, these people at this church. And he's saying that the key here for you all is to repent Come back to the things of God. And when he talks about refining a fire, you know what a fire will do? A fire will cause you to be hot and and it will burn up the impurities. That's the two things that, that heat will do. If you've got junk in your life, you come under the refiners, it'll burn up junk in your life. But also, it'll put a passion in us to live for him. And then he says this in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, he's addressing this, guys, to a complacent church. He's addressing this to a church that needs to be woke up here. And when you look at what he's saying there, he wants an intimate relationship with him. A daily relationship with him. Not just the Sunday morning deal. And the paradox here is this, guys. His grace, but there's a personal responsibility with me and you. He'll grace us, but I must make a choice here. And so think about what he just said. He said, I'm knocking at the door. And here, he who hears me, hears my voice, will open it. Why? I want to dine with you. I want to hang out with you. I want to do everyday life with you. But the key is this. You and me must open the door. I don't have to. But in order for Jesus to be a part of our lives, guys, I must allow him to come in. He won't force his way upon us. And therefore, I'm going to continue to live lukewarm if I don't heed what he's telling me here. He ends in, in verse 21, or 20, verse 21 and 22. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So when you read this, he's saying, you're either going to live for God or you're going to live for man. A choice for each one of us. Who are you going to live for? Now, to understand this a little bit more, go with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5. Ephesians 5. And I want us to just see a little bit this morning about what the New Testament says about this. And this is, this is designed to help us, guys. This is designed to help me and you to not live lukewarm, to live full of God. I don't know about you, I want to live full of God. I don't want to just play church. I don't want to just go through the motions. And I believe that needs to become the heart of all of us in here. I don't want to live apathetic, complacent, lukewarm. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 
Begin with me in verse 15. See then that you walk or live circumspectly. That word means careful. Now there's a warning for me and you. He says, me and you got to learn to live careful. Not as fools, but as wise. Now if you look at the two options there, I'm either going to live as a fool or I'm going to live wise. How do I live wise? Verse 16. Redeeming the time or making the most of my opportunities. Now remember last week with, with Mary and Martha in Luke 10, that's verses 38 through 42. They both had the same opportunities, but only one of them did what they needed to do. So he tells us here, redeeming the time, why? Because the days are evil. When I look at that verse right there, you know what it tells me? You've got to make the things of God priority. You've got to be a pursuer of the things of God. I can't just sit back and think, well, if God wants this to happen for me, then he'll do it. Once again, it goes back to what I said earlier in Revelations. The paradox was God's grace, but there must be a personal responsibility with me. Keep reading. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, how many of you want to know what the will of the Lord is? Probably all of us should. If you were to look at this verse, guys, it's cross-reference to 1 Thessalonians 4.3. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, and you need to write it down. You can go there and look and make sure I'm telling you the truth, but I'm just going to quote it to you. It says, the will of the Lord is this, your sanctification. The will of the Lord is this. Your sanctification. Now, if you were here last week, remember we talked about the word sanctification. It means to be set apart. Set apart unto God. So the will of God is your sanctification. Me and you live set apart unto God. You know what that means, guys? I live differently than the world. I can't blend in with the world. i got to make a stand and say, you know what? I'm going to serve God. Every day of my life. And you know what that means? You're probably going to be persecuted. People are going to talk about you. Well, he's just a Jesus freak. What a compliment. Thank you. But this is what he's talking about right here. The will of God is me and you sanctify. He wants us to live sold out to him. So you know what that tells me? Doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm not just a Christian on Wednesday night at the youth group and then I live like the devil the rest of the week at school. He's saying there ought to be a separation. Okay? Keep reading. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The Amplified says, but be ever filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. Now, to be filled with the Spirit of God, guys, that's not a one-time event. In Matthew 7, verse 38, it references the Holy Spirit as that of a river of living water. Think about a river. A river is continuous. How many of you have ever seen the Mississippi River? 
I mean, if you've ever seen the Mississippi River, I mean, it flows and it flows. You don't show back up to him the next day and say, man, that dude's empty. Where did it all go? So he's telling us here that to be filled with the Spirit, guys, is a daily deal. Day by day, i got to be filled with the Spirit. So when I go back and I look at all this, the reason he wants us to be filled with the Spirit is the Holy Spirit is to be our helper, and he's to influence us in the way to do life. So we go back in this whole passage I just read. Think about what he said. Learn to live wise. Why? Because the days are evil. How do I live wise? I've got to be set apart. I've got to live sanctified unto God. And then what was the last thing? The big thing in that is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. If I'm not filled with the Spirit, guys, I'm going to find myself living lukewarm. I truly believe that. And I want to show you some more to prove this biblically. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians, that be filled with the Spirit continually. It's the gift. You guys are an excited bunch today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Get ready. It's going to help you. Verse 4. Before I start this, I'm going to read verses 4, 5, and 6. And I want you to pay close attention to who all's referenced in every verse. In verse 4, in verse 5, and verse 6. Verse 4. And we have such trust or confidence through Christ toward God. If you want to live with a confidence toward God, you got to learn who you are through Christ Jesus. He's saying this right here. In order to find that confidence and trust, it only comes through who? Jesus. i got to give my heart to Jesus, and i gotta, I got to live for Him every day. Verse 5. Not that we are sufficient or qualified of ourselves or our ability to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, who's the highlight in that verse? God is. My sufficiency. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says specifically, God's grace is sufficient. My sufficiency in life only comes from Father God. He said there, don't you dare think that it's out of your abilities. Don't you dare think that, oh, I've got this thing called life figured out. So we see two things. Verse 4, I've got to have Jesus. Verse 5, God's grace is my sufficiency. Look at verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I told you to note in there who all's mentioned. If you notice in this passage, all three of the trinities mentioned. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How many of us in this room have tried to do life without Jesus? Probably all of us. How many of us in this room have tried to do the things of life without God's grace, God's empowerment? I can do it. I'm a man. I'm strong. I can handle anything that comes my way. Really. But how many of us have tried to do life 
without the very one who gives life. Now I want you to look at the last sentence in verse 6. For the Spirit gives life. Wow. That ought to be a nugget for us right there. If the very Holy Spirit, the very entity of God Himself, lives on the inside of me and is the source of life, I better take all of Him that I can get. The problem is with this is so much times in our churches, now we quit talking about the Holy Spirit. We've tried to do life, we've tried to do church without the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen. Will not happen. Jesus Himself said, it is, it is for your benefit or for your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I won't send you the helper. Who was the helper? The Holy Spirit. Who prescribed the Holy Spirit? Jesus himself. He'll be a big revelation for all you men. There's two times in Scripture that God himself said, You men need a helper. He created the woman, the wife. And all the men said, Thank you, Father God. I say that twice. Thank you. And then right here, he said, I'm going to give you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And so I don't know how me and you can even think we can do life. We can accomplish the thing that God's called us to do. Number one, without being born again. I've got to be born again. Number two, I've got to say, Father God, I welcome your grace every day, but I've got to have the Holy Spirit come and help me. Now what happens when the Holy Spirit comes the Bible's very clear that He'll convict us. He'll convict the world of sin, but He'll also convict us in everyday life. And so when I heed His conviction, He keeps me lined up in life. If I override that conviction, you know what He starts doing? He convicts my heart to, see, uh, to repent. And so all He's doing, the Holy Spirit, is trying to help me live right, li life right. But if you do miss it, you know what He's saying? Just repent and get back right. Pastor, have you ever rode the Holy, overrode the Holy Spirit? I have. And you think running a red light in the natural is expensive. You run a red light in the spirit realm when the Holy Spirit's saying, whoa, 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 it's going to cost you. But once you do run that red light, He'll come back to you and He'll convict your heart to try to get you to repent. Why? Because He's mad at you? No! He wants us to help us to go through life. You know, I can tell you exactly the, the month and the year. It was late January 1994. Super Bowl Sunday. I remember clearly. I'm in the mountains in Cloudcroft, New Mexico. And Saturday night, it begins to snow a little bit. I get up Sunday morning, and I needed to drive back to Clovis but the snow starts getting a little heavier. My, my family, my brother-in-law and all of them, they said, hey, there's great tubing today because of the snow. You guys need to stay in tube for a little bit. Well, right at that moment when he said that, the Holy Spirit just began to, to, to override me or put in my heart, leave, go, go. I, I can sense it. And so I didn't say nothing. Two reasons. I didn't want to be the party pooper. I didn't want everybody to say, well, come on. And then number two, and this was a big deal, I really thought the only reason that, that if I said this, Shelly would think he just wants to get home for the Super Bowl. Now, that was part of it. The snow gets heavier. 
They talk more about tubing, and every time it's brought up, the, the, the impression of the Holy Spirit in my life gets stronger, stronger, go. I'm, I'm telling you, it was, it was that um, noticeable. It was that discerning with me. I could sense him saying, go, go, go. But I find myself in line renting a couple inner tubes. It's really snowing now. We go up for a couple hours and tube, and we come down, and I'm thinking, man, thank God no one got hurt. I don't know why the Holy Spirit was leading me in that direction. I get on the road, and I'm in a car that has rear-wheel drive. I, I'm not a mile out of Cloudcroft, and I come around this corner, and the back end starts sliding. Now, a lot of times as men, we think, man, I'm the greatest driver. I can drive in anything. There ain't nothing too difficult. Not that day, boys. I cannot get it back into my lane. I'm starting hitting the brakes. I'm doing everything, and I mean, it keeps sliding. And I look down the road, and I see a car coming. And I'm in their lane, and I get closer and closer. And it's so close that it's like I can see the guy's eyes. I can, it wasn't a guy. It was a woman. And she's looking at me like, you drunk, get over. And I'm pulling, and I'm doing everything I know to do. And at the last minute, I tell Shelly and my kids, I said, get down. Boom. Head on. The next thing I know, there's airbags going everywhere. Man, I'm trying to fight him and get down. We're rolling down an embankment. And thank God for the grace of God. I stop before we go into a pond. I look over, man, there, you know, it had stunned me what had happened. It had hit my head. There's blood everywhere. I mean, I'm looking around thinking, what's going on? Then I look and I realize my kids are okay. It broke Shelly's arm. But my thought is, oh, no, Lord, I, I pray I didn't kill somebody. And so I go running out of the car and you think, there's snow everywhere. And I see this lady, and, and when she sees me, she screams. And I think, oh, no, I, I hurt her bad. Well, what she saw in all that snow was all that blood coming off me. She was all right. And I thank God that she was all right. But you know what I realized? That whole morning, the Holy Spirit, the one who gives life, tried to warn me. And guess what? I overrode it. And the Holy Spirit will let you override if you don't want to listen to Him. But not only that, He's the giver of life. So what did you do? I repented. And I said this out of my mouth. I said, Holy Spirit, I'm so sorry in the name of Jesus that I, I, I did not listen to you today. And so this is what it's talking about. How many of you have override the Holy Spirit? Probably every one of us. But once again, I look at this and what we're talking about this morning. Without the Holy Spirit, I believe this, we're going to keep living average. We're going to keep living lukewarm. i got to heed the Scriptures. And i got one more I want you to go to. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. The Holy Spirit was designed to help me in everyday life. He was designed to help me live life. I don't know about you, but I look at this, and Jesus himself said he's the helper. Let me ask you today. You don't have to raise your hands. How many of you need help today being a, a mom or a dad? How many of you need help today being a husband or wife? How many of you need help just at everyday work? How many of you need... Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you a guide 
that will quicken you, that will enlighten you, that will teach you. It specifically says in John that he'll show you things to come. But yet we've pushed him aside and act like, you know what? I can do life without him. We can't. We can do church. We can't. First John 2, verse number 27. Now, this is a good one. But the anointing, the helper, the Holy Spirit, which you have received from him, abides in you. Wow. He wants to abide in you. He wants to live in you. Listen what the Amplified says there. The sacred appointment, you have been given an unction. I said this last week, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there's an unction. There's an umph. There's just something that you have that inward knowing. How many of you have ever gone to buy something and you knew in your heart, there it is. You had such a peace on it. That's the Holy Spirit. But if you're in a position where you're going to buy something and there's a yuck, understand that's the Holy Spirit. He's trying to say, don't do it. Don't do it. Whether that's a house, whether that's a car, whatever area, I can go back and almost always look in my life that He's tried to warn me. He'll lead me with peace. Now if you'll note there, He says, you, look, look real close, but the anointing which you have received. Now that's a key word right there, received. How'd you get born again? Well, Jesus got me in a headlock and He threw me around and said, you better, you better get born again. That's not what happened, did it? You received Jesus as Lord of your life. You said, come into my heart. This is the same way you get filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the same way you walk in the anointing. You've got to welcome Him. Woo, I receive it. I thank you today. I thank you today. I've got an anointing. I've got an unction. And whatever uh, 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 business, whatever occupation you're in, what would happen if we begin to ask Him that? Thank you, Father God. I've got an anointing to be a teacher today. I've got an unction to be a plumber today. I've got an unction, whatever it is. This is a promise, and he says, going on. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing, the same Holy Spirit teaches you concerning all things. Maybe we ought to underline all things. He wants to teach us in all things. He wants to help us in all things. You know what that means? Everyday events in your life. And when I begin to heed to the Holy Spirit, He will make you look like a genius. People will look and say, How did you know that? What took place? It's almost like you had inside information and you think, I did. And it was the Holy Spirit. Look how he ends this part. Concerning all things, and he is true and is not a lie. And just as it or he has taught you, you will abide in him. You will remain rooted in him, grounded in him. Now guys, I could sit up here for the next few hours and I could, I could tell you things that the Holy Spirit has done over and over and over in my life. 
how he's led me and led me. And I can tell you times that I've overrode him. And it cost me. It cost me a lot of, a lot of pain when I've done that. But, oh, I like to look at the times that I've sit there and I've yielded to him. And, man, just gone with the, the anointing that he's given me. This is why this came alive to me, this verse, because this has become my prayer. I've said, oh, I thank you. I thank you today, Holy Spirit. You're anointing me. You're giving me that unction to be a great daddy, to be a great parent, to be a great pastor, whatever you're occupying. Man, I just got including. And I believe this is an invitation for every one of us. But I've got to heed these things, especially the times we live in, and even more so going into a new year. I want my new year to be different. I want it to be significant. I want to leave my mark on this earth for the kingdom of God. You know how that happens? Be filled with the Spirit. You go back and you look at Peter and the Pauls, the Philips, the Stephens, full of the Spirit of God, every one of them. Just study the book of Acts. This, this ought to stir us up, guys. And some of you may look today and think, I don't have that in my life right now. The only prerequisite for being filled with the Spirit of God is you must be born again. You must give Jesus your heart. I don't know where you're at today in your relationship with Him. I can tell you this. He loved you and He died for you. How do I receive Him? Well, according to Romans 10, 9 and 10, that, that I believe in my heart that He's the Son of God and I confess with my, my, my mouth that He's the Lord and Savior. That's the first, the first step for every one of us in here, that Jesus is Lord of my life. Let me ask you this. How many of you could use some grace that caused you to be su sufficient? I need your grace, Lord, to make me sufficient in life, to sustain me in life, to help me. But what even about receiving the Holy Spirit? If you're here today, and you say, man, I'm telling you, something, something hadn't been right. I've lived lukewarm. I haven't been this in life. I haven't been that. What an invitation today. What a wake-up call. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.